You're listening to the Speech Uncensored podcast. This is the place we dive into all the particulars of communication, voice, swallow, and cognition with tangible applications to the world of medical speech and language pathology. You can expect something new and interesting each week with resources and specially curated show notes on speechuncensored.com. This week's guest is Kate Grambois, host of the podcast SLP Nerdcast. We're chatting about the unique role podcasts play in continuing education opportunities and what that looks like uh, for Kate's podcast. My name is Leanne Porter. I'm your enthusiastic and inquisitive host, and I hope you're ready to get your nourish and flourish on. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. How are you doing? I am just fine. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted. I'm really excited to um, dive deeper into our topic today about podcast, podcasting, um, using podcasts as a tool to quickly and efficiently disseminate information um, to practicing clinicians. So yeah, let's get started. Sounds good to me. All right. So I want to learn all the things about you, Kate. Who are you? Where are you? And what do you do? Well, that's a loaded question, but I will try to, I will try to simplify it for you. Um, my name is Kate Grambois. I am a, a speech and language pathologist and duly certified for, um, uh, behavior analyst, BCBA. I run a private practice in, right outside of Boston in Massachusetts. And clinically, I um, specialize in augmentative alternative communication and um, helping n- generally speaking, non-speaking or minimally speaking individuals who have behavioral needs for the most part. All right. Good. Hey, that was succinct. I love it. (laughs) All right. Um, So tell me a little bit about your podcast, SLP Nerdcast. Um, Sure. What are are your topics? What's it about? Oh my, it's a labor of love. Um, So about a year ago, well, I guess a little more than a year ago now, um, my counterpart, and um, I call her the vice president of my life, she, Amy Wonka and I, she, were, she's a good friend of mine. She was my mentor back in the day, and we were having a lot of discussions about how difficult it was to attend conferences and all of the barriers related to um, continuing education in our field. And the barriers in, for continuing education, we think, are multifaceted. So there are travel restrictions. Um, there are, you know, issues related to cost. And that's not only associated with travel. Um, in the marketplace for continuing education in speech and language pathology, continuing education tends to be pretty pricey, particularly when you are seeking an evidence-based lecture that's very specific. Um, A lot of times you'll find researchers or keynote speakers at larger conferences where there's a much higher price point. And we felt like that sort of stunk and we didn't like it. So we wanted to create something that removed some of those barriers to continuing education on a variety of fronts. Um, And podcasts are a really unique opportunity for learning because while it is only an audio format, you can access it um, for free most of the time um, on any podcast player. So our podcast is not behind a paywall. So you can get access to the clinical information that you need, but also you can consume that information 
done while you grocery shop, while you run, while you do dishes, while you fold laundry, while you commute in your car. Um, so it becomes this, you know, convenience factor where you can learn and therefore improve your clinical practice without needing to take three or four days out of your life and fly across the country. Um, and in addition to that, we wanted to make sure that we were removing financial barriers. So um, we offer several free courses that are related to um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and mental health, um, which are topics that we feel are very important in our field um, from a continuing education standpoint. And our price point is always very low. So um, so that's, that's the platform. It sort of grew out of pain points related to continuing education. Awesome. That's, that's great. That's one of my favorite things about podcasts as well is that like, they're just out there in the world. Like just about anyone can access them and learn from them and kind of go at their own pace. And I think that makes them like really easy to consume. And it, I hopefully breaks down a lot of barriers that people have to, to getting that kind of information. So. Absolutely. And, you know, we realize that it's an audio only format. Um, and there are some things that a conference will, that a podcast will never be able to replace. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you go to conferences, you have options to walk vendor halls, spend time with coworkers, build relationships that are really great for your work environment or your career. Um, and obviously this is never going to replace some of those things. Um, but at the same time, I think it's still a medium that's underutilized. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to see podcasts grow as sources for um, just sharing that information, sharing what researchers are publishing quickly. Um, And I think even like social media plays a role in that too. Like I know I spend a lot of time on Instagram and the SLP community on Instagram and I see where um, practitioners who are able to like spend time like reading research and applying it to their practice will share things that they have found really helpful um, for other SLPs who maybe like don't have that kind of time or to dedicate to kind of digging in. So sure, yeah, and I mean I think it's a really interesting you know it's a really interesting. Delivering evidence-based information, I guess, is a really interesting lens to look through because our evidence-based practice triangle is three-pronged, right? Mm -hmm. So we not only have the research, which is the external evidence, we have internal evidence. So what does the data say about how our treatment is working? We have clinical judgment, but we also have client and family values. So when we're, you know, as a company trying to produce material that is not only clinically actionable, but is also evidence-based practice, um, it can be a, a unique set of, you know, it's a unique lens to look through to make sure that the bar is set high enough where the content that we're publishing meets all of those standards. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you vet? Like, um, so when you have guests on, like your, every, every one of your episodes is for CEU credit. So, like, how do you make sure that your topic and the information behind it, like the research and everything, the literature is supporting like best practice right now and is applicable to um, most people practicing? 
That's a really, really good question. <laughs> and it's the, I bet you're not surprised that my answer is not, is multi, multi-tiered. Um, so as part of being ASHA CE providers, we do need to hold to a certain standard for publishing um, continuing education units for them. One of those things is making sure that all of our speakers meet certain criteria in terms of financial and non-financial disclosures, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of how we vet speakers, so one of our um, guiding principles is making sure that we do our best to um, check bias, and that includes our own bias and any potential bias of any any guest who comes on the show. Um, and we do that in a couple of different ways. So first, uh, Amy and I have written, I guess, maybe a little less than half of the episodes we have published, and it's around 50 or so now. And we don't ever touch content that isn't within our scope of competence. So, you know, the scope of, of practice of a speech and language pathologist is so wide, but your scope of competence can be, you know, somewhat narrow. So we do make sure that anyone who is speaking, us or anyone else, um, has the topic in their scope of competence. Um, the second way that we vet that is that we actually have an advisory board that we brought on um, earlier in the, um, about six months after we launched. And the role of the advisory board is to make sure that we are staying in our lane, make sure that we're checking our bias, and then they um, vet any topics that is without outside of our scope. So for example, I'm an AAC person. If I was to, um, if someone was to come on to the show to discuss childhood apraxia of speech, I would have the individual on our, I would have our advisory board take a look at that proposal to make sure that the evidence is current, to make sure that the learning objectives are in line with um, evidence-based practice within that clinical area. So, uh, and we also have a call for papers that we open a few times a year, so really trying to be analog to that conference model, because we do believe that more voices are better than one. You know, it's not the Amy and Kate show. The real learning experience comes through um, diversity of learning opportunity. So um, we do open our call for papers a few times a year to allow the audience, if they have an area of expertise or something that they want to share, just like you would put in a call for papers at ASHA. And through that process, um, it's just like you would see in any other conference. People have to submit not only all of the ASHA required information, but we also vet everything through our advisory board. Um, And they grade it on a rubric. And it has to meet a certain criteria for us to have it published. Mm. Okay. That's really cool. I like that you have a rubric. That's awesome. <laughs> and we like fancy math words like rubric. <laughs> Just kidding. Know, right? like, if you asked me to define rubric, I, I would probably struggle. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then I won't. But okay. what I will ask is um, what kinds of topics you've, you've mentioned a couple that you have on the podcast. Um, like the free ones would be. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and mental health topics. And um, what are some other areas that you dive into with oh, your guests? We've gone sort of all over the map. This has been a really busy year. Um, we've done a lot on collaboration. Uh, we've done a lot on AAC because that's our area of, uh, of, of competence. We've done a lot on data collection, which is also our area of competence. Um, we've published about half of a series with, um, uh, uh, related to, uh, fluency. Um, and we have more fluency coming out at the end of this year. We've published half of a series on childhood apraxia of speech. We've got some 
feeding and swallowing, adult dysphagia. Um, I know I'm, I know I'm missing a whole, bu- a whole bunch of them. Um, but we've really sort of gone, o- gone all over the map. Okay. And, um, so would you like, okay. When I think of SLPs, I kind of chunk them into, to like two main groups in my head. And then in those groups, there's lots of, you know, subcategories, but there would be like school-based SLPs and then med SLPs or medical SLPs. Um, is, would one group of SLPs find more content on your podcast or like, is it really applicable to people practicing anywhere? That's a really good question. And also really funny because I've never grouped SLPs that way. (laughs) In my mind, it's like a whole long continuum. Um, But I think that's a, you know, even ASHA groups us that way. So I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Um, I think that the majority of our content is probably closer related to PEDS. So not necessarily school age or school based, but um, so we have a couple um, related to, for example, um, feeding and swallowing specifically in pediatrics. Um, so that could be med, that could be school. I, I would say that we only have, we have a smaller number of courses that are published related specifically to adults. Um, but I will say that we have a handful of um, courses that are, are applicable across the lifespan and across discipline and, and work environment, um, particularly those we have published related to um, mental health, self, you know, self-care, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so probably mostly peds, but a little bit, a little bit for everyone, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a very good answer, but I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was good. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit more about how you have been able to get, um, how you've been able to provide CEUs. So thinking about the podcast as a business is interesting um, because it is, I, I think, a little bit unique in, in terms of being an ASHA CEU provider on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we started the project, we didn't really have, you know, we knew we wanted to monetize it. We knew we wanted to offer continuing education. But we started in February of last year. Actually, it was our one-year birthday a couple of days ago, February 23rd. Happy birthday, happy birthday to happy one birthday to me, to us. <laughs> um, so we started out with CMHs, certification maintenance hours. And um, for all of the speech pathologists out there listening who don't know what that is, certification maintenance hours are actually what we need to maintain our C's. Hold, hold, sit down. If you're if you're standing up, sit down. I'm about to blow your mind. You do not need ASHA CEUs to maintain your Cs. You do not need ASHA CEUs to maintain your Cs. That's exactly correct. You may need some of them for other governing bodies. For example, we know of one state who that requires ASHA CEUs, which is absurd. Don't get me st- I'm not going to get on my ASHA soapbox today. But and I want to, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to resist the temptation. Your so, strength is Herculean I, and <laughs> thank you. So, you know, you don't need ASHA CEUs to maintain your CEUs. You need what are called certification maintenance hours. And if you don't believe me, there is a reference you can look it up. There is an article by um, Coleman and Williams from 2006. It was in the ASHA Leader. The title of the article is Maintaining Your C's. It's simple and offers a broad array of options. Use ASHA CEUs or other activities. It's your choice. So any activity where you are the learner and you can get 
a record of your attendance can count, which is wild. And yes, and specifically, it needs to relate to the work that you do. Like if I were to go, correct. technically I could, I could get maintenance hours for attending a talk on like pediatric AAC, even though I don't use that in my practice, correct? Um, because it's relevant in the field, I could do that. But it does, it needs to be relevant to my practice. So if I went to a continuing um, education seminar that was presented by occupational therapists and it was on vision yep. therapy, that is relevant to the work I do. Yep. I need to know about that to help people who have um, visual deficits and impairments after stroke. So right. that counts to maintain my C's. Right. So when we started the podcast, this was the this is the premise that we were operating under. Um, that you could listen to an episode and purchase access to a quiz to get a certificate. And what we learned over the course of about three to four months is that nobody knows what that is. Nobody knows what a CMH is. Um, I say nobody. I know there are people out there listening who know what it is, and this isn't new information, but a vast – It was we were shocked by how many speech pathologists would consume our content, purchase access to a quiz – get a certificate, and then email us and say, how, would I, how do I get this in the ASHA registry? Is that something that I mail to you? Do I need to mail it to them? And the number of times we had to explain, no, this doesn't go into your registry. It's not an ASHA CEU. And then they would say, so I can't use this for my Cs? And here we go, this conversation over and over and over again. We, we answered this question so many times that we had copied and pasted responses because yeah. it was so time-consuming to explain it. And this is another, not to go on a tangent, but this is another huge deficit in our field in terms of continuing education in that ASHA has created the product, the ASHA CEU, as a standard or perceived standard for mm -hmm. how to maintain your C's and it's not required, but everybody thinks it is. Mm -hmm. So then they go out of their way to consume just ASHA CEUs. And again, not going to get on my soapbox, but that is how the industry, our current field is, is set up. And um, I think it's also interesting to have a side note on top of that, that we think, oh, well, because they're ASHA CEUs, they're somehow at some higher level and they've perceived been- Perceived value. Yep. They've been reviewed. This is, this is clearly- perfect information and education. ASHA is not going through every CEU provider with that ASHA accreditation and checking to make sure every CEU that they put out meets certain standards. They have a really big book that you've told me about <laughs> that every provider has to go by, but honestly, like there, there, there is no big check. Like no one is going through your presentation with a fine tooth comb before you give it. There's a lot of so, held assumptions that you wouldn't present anything that's not evidence-based or interesting. reliable. It's interesting because we, so we are ASHA CEU providers now and we've gone through that process and we've read that 171-page ASHA CE board manual. Um, and, and what's interesting is that there is, so based on what you said, there, there is a process that you have to go to to vet different speakers, but... And, and our platform is a little bit different because I'm present for every everything that we publish. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for larger organizations, they're not necessarily there in attendance making sure that the Astro CEU is – so it, it is some benchmark to make sure that there are hoops that people go through. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is 
better quality. I think the issue is that there is a perception that an ASHA CEU is a better quality because you could, when I worked at the hospital, I would go to Grand Rounds and have, and, and be educated by like top neurologists in Boston over, and that was an incredible education. Um, and I could get a certificate for that and count it. And that wasn't an ASHA CEU. So there is a very wide spectrum in terms of, of the learner and their experience with the material. And that is what is Mm -hmm. important. And the ASHA Mm -hmm. CEU, Mm -hmm. I think they try to hit certain benchmarks. So for example, you have to have financial disclosures. You have to have learning objectives that are measurable. There has to be a structure to the course. Um, Marketing materials have to look a certain way so that people aren't provided with false information. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they do have standards and it's 171 pages of standards, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, to your point, the person who is making that presentation isn't necessarily more valuable in their in what they're presenting than someone else who is not an ASHA CEU provider. And I think that that's a really important distinction because at the end of the day, clinicians need to be responsible for seeking out the education that is going to positively impact their practice and in turn positively impact their clients. Sometimes that might be ASHA CEUs. Sometimes it might not be. And it's up to us to determine, A, what is in our scope of competence? B, how can we operate on the fringes of our scope of competence to improve our knowledge base and therefore improve our practice? Mm-hmm. ASHA CEUs may play a part in that, but that's not necessary and not, not always what's going to make you a better clinician. Um, because that's what matters. That's why we have these standards of 30 hours a year or 30 hours every three years. I have two licenses. I can't keep, I can't keep it straight. But, but, you know, I think in terms of the podcast and the business and why we decided to become ASHA CEUs is because at the end of the day, so few people that we interacted with understood that difference between ASHA CEUs and certification maintenance hours. And we need to be a viable business and we need to sell, you know, products and courses that are relevant and valuable to our customer base because, and that sounds very, I feel like people in our field, they say, oh, customer, oh, that sounds like really greasy and oily and like you're trying to like, you know, profit off of things. But let's, let's be real here. Nobody works for free, right? Pet projects can only take you so far. Um, and so, we about after five or six months of offering um, sort of our courses as our, our, our episodes as certification maintenance hours, we decided that it was worth the headache to become ASHA CEU providers and um, you know work with the certification maintenance uh, or the continuing education board and go through that process to offer our episodes as ASHA CEUs because frankly that's what the people wanted. That's mm-hmm. what our field want. That's what our listeners wanted to consume. Um, even mm-hmm. though the episodes did change, it was the exact. It was the exact same. And um, I think it's what's really interesting to me, as in my my ripe old age, which I won't disclose, is is looking at our field as as a as an industry and how people are driven and motivated to consume certain things over others. Um, And what are the variables there that make things more or less appealing and valuable? And what impact does it have on us as clinicians? What impact does it have on us as learners? What impact does it have on our wallets? What impact does that have 
why are we consuming this knowledge in the first place? And at what impact does it have on our clients and our jobs and our livelihoods? And unfortunately, what I've learned is that this is a big mess. It's there's a lot of different variables affecting different things. Um, and I think, you know, sort of coming back to our mission, it's one of the things that we want to disrupt a little bit and 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 facilitate because it, it's just silly. It just it doesn't need to be as complicated as it is. That's right. I get really bent out of shape when I see unnecessary complications because one of my unofficial, unregistered love languages is efficiency and organization. And I'm like, and when I see something that could be better, easier, more fluid, like I want to jump in there and fix it. I'm like, mm-hmm. let me add it. Like, mm-hmm. let me do this thing. And then I get real frustrated if people are like, no, this is how it has to be. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I feel you. And this is why, like, every time we get together, we have, like, hour-plus-long conversations because we totally jive on these topics. Like, we get irritated by the same things. We have the same passion for connecting people with useful resources that are going to really enhance their practice and enhance patient outcomes. Like, that's what we're all here for. That's why we joined this field. Right. It's to help people. So let's facilitate that. Let's support the clinician. And I have to say, it's the exception, not the rule, where I meet a speech pathologist who doesn't want to learn something. There are so many, we're a hungry, it's a hungry group of individuals who are driven to learn and improve. And and we should be able to do that with more easily. You know, another thing that we talk about a lot on our podcast is our lack of structured mentorship programs. Ooh. So this is another eye-opening thing that, you know, by joining another field and becoming a BCBA, they do a lot more structured mentorship. And I've learned a ton from the people that I've worked with. And I learned a ton from Amy, who was my mentor. Um, I Actually, I, I pretty much know everything I know because of the other people that I've worked with who have taught me over the years. And learning is, you know, and continuing to grow our our knowledge base and our scope of competence is not only something that is beneficial to our jobs, it's beneficial to staff retention. It's beneficial to business models no matter where you work. It's beneficial to um, to our clients and our patients. It, 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 is, it is a tremendous um, and undervalued component of, of our jobs because our system is so focused on... I don't know. Regulation, <laughs> hoops. I, I don't know. It's just you know, it's it's something that I think should be at the forefront of 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 what we think about because mm-hmm. we have to get those thirty hours every three years. It's not yeah. it's not a choice. I remember at the beginning of my practice, like sure, I had a CF mentor. Like yeah, she was there. She was good. Like I've got no complaints. Mm-hmm. But I needed so much more. I needed like five I still need I can't make a decision without asking Amy about it. So much so that I call her Joe because at one point in time Joe Biden was our vice president and she was the vice president of my existence. And I couldn't do anything without clearing it through her for us. And that's maybe partially me having a little bit of imposter syndrome, but it's also, you know, you need not only validation from your peers, but if you don't know the answer to something, that's okay. Nobody knows everything. Nobody knows the answer to every question. And if there's a chance that if I don't know the answer, someone I know knows the answer or someone I know can connect me with someone who knows the answer. And that sort of herd knowledge is really, really important. It's really, really important. And that's one of the things that mentors are great at, in my experience. Yeah. I found an unanticipated side effect of starting the podcast has been, it's opened me up to so many mentors. 
and the ability to be a mentor to others. And I thrive off of these relationships. I can't describe all the growth in my, uh, in my own practice as a result of the conversations that I've had that I've recorded and shared. And then the ones that kind of continue after we finish recording, you know, it's been wild and amazing. And it's connected me with other SLPs who love the field too. And I just love it. It's such a good place to be into. Cause when we, we get into these little silos of isolation, that's the death knell. That's when yes. burnout really can rear its ugly head. And it was all because I started putting myself outside of my comfort zone and reaching out to people and like overcoming a lot of fear of rejection and getting comfortable with rejection and getting comfortable with being like, well, Leanne, people are just busy. They can't talk with you right now. That's okay, girl. You get busy too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I, oh, if you could hear my inner dialogue, oh, you'd be like, that's a problem. (laughs) Just like, you know, the fear of rejection. Um, and, you know, I, I will, I feel like this conversation makes me, th- we had this um, interview with David Luderman and I don't know if you, do you know who David Luderman is? That Dr. makes me really familiar. He's like, he's like, I think I can, I think I can safely say he's like the grandfather of counseling in our field. And I say grandfather because he, he was my professor. He's now retired. Um, and he is a trained clinical audiologist, but did, has done a profound amount of work in our field for, um, counseling and the importance of counseling. And the episode that we did with him changed my practice completely. I, 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 he was my professor, but I I learned more from him at my age now than I did when I was, you know, 24 and like dying to get out of the classroom to make it to the bar down the street. Don't judge me. Um, (laughs) But what he said in our in our episode, and it's free, you can get CEUs for free for it. It's one of the free episodes that we have up and available, um, is people who are uncomfortable, or people, he said, I don't want to quote him, somebody's going to have to listen to it. People who are happy, bliss out. People who are uncomfortable, make change. And that really stuck with me in terms of what you're saying about operating, you know, operating on the fringe of your, he said, you should always be operating on the fringe of your competency because that's where you learn. And, and, and that's how you make change. (laughs) It was not me telling you this. It's Dr. Luderman. I'm going to pass the buck on that one. And, and, and it's true, but it's so true. It's so true. So if we are identifying all of these, you know, issues in, in your workplace, in your client interactions, in your own practice with self-reflection skills, in our field, how are you going to implement those changes? And it's by making yourself, it's by doing something other than the status quo. Because mm-hmm. the status quo is just that. It's in perpetuity, you know, it will just stay the same. Um, and I'm a very firm believer that exposure to conflict, exposure to new things, exposure to education is something that can really facilitate the inner dialogue that then creates the outward change and discomfort. Um, and that's a personal journey sort of combined with a professional one that I think is, is really important. Yeah, I agree. All of these things really resonate with me and things that I've been working on the last few years as well. Um, across like working on myself as a, as a person, which translates into me being a better uh, professional, not just as an SLP, but as a colleague at a workplace and interacting with leadership in my workplace. And then transitioning into looking like what would being a leader in a workplace look like for me too? Because I'm bossy britches. <laughs> I can't imagine oh, that. Right? Who would have thought? Um <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, like navigating that because like, I don't know, this is like coming as a child. Like I was like unfettered bossy, but I would get so much <laughs> flack. And I don't know if it was because I was just too aggressive as a child being bossy or if it was because I was a little girl and there's the whole like gender stereotypes like, oh, who are you to throw around your weight? That's not for you. You're a girl. Go play with dolls. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. Patriarchy is everywhere. Hashtag patriarchy. I've almost brought it up like five times this conversation, but I kept it in Mm -hmm. my thinking bubble and now I'm just going to say it out loud. Like mad props to my husband for suffering through all my diatribes against the patriarchy. And he's like, Man, do you secretly hate me? And I'm like, no, this is all about everybody else but you. You should hate the patriarchy too. It doesn't suck up for anybody. But we, that's a whole other soapbox. I'm not doing a very good job of avoiding my soapboxes on your podcast. I'm sorry. I apologize. I should retitle this podcast like SLP soapboxes because that's honestly what I'm most passionate about. Like let's air the dirty laundry. And you know what? When people have a bee in their bonnet, and I I love that expression. When you have a bee in your bonnet, you've got to get it out. And usually it's because of some pain point because something needs to be fixed. And that's okay. But but you know, I also think what's really interesting, and I know this this is my personal, I guess, bias from all the pain points related to the the strained ABA and SLP relationship, which I'm definitely not going to get into because that's like 17 podcast episodes. <laughs> I haven't even gotten into it very, very, very minimally on our own podcast because it's such a, 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 a deep, deep topic. But, you know, when you have a bee in your bonnet and you see a problem, there is also possibly another side. And I think one of the best solves, you know, one of the best fixes for that is education. So to really mm-hmm. fix a problem, look at the whole problem. Mm. Get can educate yourself about it as much as you can because you can't solve it. You can't offer suggestions, you can't offer solutions until you can see it, you, until you can see the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I think that that's also so important and another place where education and access to education and access to continuing education and professional development and self, you know, reflection skills is, is critical. It's critical. And it's true for all, I think, uh, most clinical problems as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I love where this conversation has gone, but now I'm going to get us back on track to our previously prepared questions. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. I want to get back. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, SLP Nerdcast. Why did I stumble on that? I don't know. Moving Fine. forward. Fine. Um, do you vet guests and topics since now you are this esteemed ASHA CEU provider? I have the privilege of being an ASHA CEU provider. ASHA CEU provider. Um, we, we, we do. Um, and that's partially because we're an ASHA CEU provider, but partially because I'm, I, I don't know. I have high standards. I'm, I'm, I'm anal. My whole team is anal. Amy's, I'm, Amy, I'm not going to call you anal. You're not here to defend yourself. But she has also very high standards for evidence-based practice. Um, we do vet all of our all of our guests. Um, if it's someone that we don't know, we usually have a Zoom call with them ahead of time. We make sure that their financial and non-financial disclosures are available to all of our listeners. That is an ASHA CE provider requirement. Um, you know, we... Bring in people who have something of value to offer other other professionals or families. 
um, that is rooted in evidence and not personal bias. And I think that component is really important to me because there is a lot of misinformation out there and the internet is full of not truth. (laughs) The internet is full of like maybe bad information. So filtering that out and making clinical, clinically actionable information available is really what our podcast, what our podcast is, is all about. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a, an ASHA CEU administrator who has to approve everything ahead of time to make sure that learning objectives and financial and non-financial disclosures are up to snuff. And she's just as anal as I am. Hi, Tracy. Um, you're the best. Couldn't do anything without you. <laughs> and so, so you know, we we do a lot of we do a lot of vetting and and discussing. We also another ASHA CE provider requirement is that we have to publish content that is relevant to our audience. So twice a year, well, we do it more than twice a year, but um, on a regular basis, we pull our audience and ask them what they want to learn about. And then we use that information to design courses so that we're publishing content that is valuable to the people who are consuming it. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I mean, I like that that's one of the requirements because – I can see like as a practicing clinician, like I know what's relevant because I'm in the trenches. Like mm-hmm. this is stuff I need to know too. And if I need to know it, I think it's pretty much guaranteed that a lot of other SLPs do too. So like that's just for me. But I could see where other like larger companies that do CEUs, like they may not even be run by SLPs part of the time. You're know, like, I don't know what right. they're like. I'm pretty sure that the admit every company that's an ASHA CE provider has to have a SLP has, has, I believe the administrator needs to be a speech pathologist. Oh, like the top dog. I, no, no, no. So like I'm, I'm the company owner, so I don't have to be a speech pathologist, but my CEU administrator needs to be a speech pathologist. This is, this is more of a Tracy question. Hi hi again, Tracy. (laughs) I see our, like my right hand, (laughs) our right hand. (laughs) Oh, this is like so informative. I love this. Okay. Well, what topics are off limits? Like, are there any things that you can't talk about because you are an ASHA CEU provider? That's a great question. Um, we can't, Tracy, again, is so much more familiar with this manual than I am. Um, we can't be biased. So if I can't, let's say we brought on a guest who was a vendor and they sold a product. I can't not tell my audience that they're a vendor because mm. that would be bias and misleading mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for my, I am very passionate about making sure that things are clinically actionable and evidence-based and in line with the ASHA Code of Ethics. That is also part of being an ASHA CE provider. Um, in terms of like silly things, like I think I cursed one time. <laughs> just just once. It was a baby curse word. It wasn't a bad curse word. <laughs> Oh, we we joke, we laugh. I mean, it's a podcast. It's a casual affair. It's conversational. You know, I may or may not have said some incriminating things about my family like once or twice. I talk smack about my kids all the time. Just kidding. I love you kids. <laughs> you know, there's 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 a lot. It's it. And that's not, one of the other things that we're you know that is nice about podcasts. It is is it is more casual and it is more engaging and it's not just being lectured at and staring at some slides. Mm-hmm. So we do try to make it not entertaining because it's a it is evidence based information, but a blend of conversation. Um, Amy always says it's sort of like a you know 
a combination of seeing the lecture at the conference and then having the chat with your friends afterwards and discussing it. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and what's nice about it is that I don't know much about anything other than the one thing I do. So I get to ask a lot of dumb questions, (laughs) a lot of, you know, a lot of questions. Exactly. Um, So, so, I mean, there are some things that are off limits in terms of clinical quality and ethics. Um, But, you know, we're humans. We, 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 we chit chat. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's my favorite. I love describing this podcast as informally informative. There you go. I love that. Right. That's my vibe. That's what I want out of learning out of everything. Like, let's just be informally informative. That's Hashtag. awesome. <laughs> Delayed. <laughs> All right. Okay. I've got two more questions and then we're going to wrap up because I know you're a busy woman. You've got things on your plate too. So what are your thoughts on the role of podcasts in accelerating the delivery of best practices to SLPs in the trenches? I think we've touched on this a little bit, but like we, bring we it have touched on it a little bit. So it's interesting because podcasts from the data that we have available to us are definitely consumed more by certain age brackets. Um, so I think in terms of it being a platform for clinically actionable information, I think that might depend on the demographic and the listener. Some people, and Amy, ironically, will always, she'll be the first one to say she's a visual learner. So she hosts mm-hmm. a podcast, but then we'll take notes on everything that she's, because she's learning, but she, so people consume information in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, I would say, I, I think it's a safe bet to say that it's a great jumping off point. So maybe if you are a visual learner or you want to learn more about, a topic, listening to a podcast is maybe a great jumping off point or a great reference point, which is another reason why on all of our episodes, we always list references. There's always a long reference list. Well, maybe not long, but there's always a handful of references and online resources. Um, we have an editorial board, um, shout out editorial board. You guys are awesome. We couldn't do this without you. And they, they've, you know, edit everything that we publish and bless it before it goes live. Um, and they contribute, they're contributing editors. So they contribute a long list of, of resources. Um, so that if you listen and podcasting isn't really your thing, but you heard about it, or it's a speaker that you really wanted to hear, there are other places where you can go to continue to, um, on your, on your learning journey. Um, because like I said, diversity of education is super important, super, super Mm -hmm. important. You shouldn't be consuming all of your PD from, from one resource, which is another reason why we want to keep our prices low and sort of like disrupt the industry, not disrupt the industry like it's bad, but just change it in a, in, in a more positive way. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. And I like that you talked about having a list of references and resources because those were two really important parts for me in developing my podcast mm-hmm. is I, I didn't just want to talk about something and throw it out there. Like I wanted to give people an opportunity to dig in deeper and to like continue learning on that topic on their own, like to spark that idea or that concept or their new way of doing something and then to give them resources to implement it. And to keep mm-hmm. digging deeper, like that was crucial other, to me. The the information is useless unless you can do something with it, or if you at least like know where else to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think that kind of bridges like this audio format into 
because I'm a visual learner too. And it's like, I didn't even want to listen to podcasts to begin with. So like having a podcast is very ironic to me because I like resisted even just listening to podcasts for years. Like my husband is a huge podcast listener and he'd be like, oh, Leanne, listen to this. You'd love it. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> Like, I'm sure it's great. And he would tell me all these things he's learning from his podcast that he listens to and how like he's being exposed to all this really great stuff. And I'd be like, again, for you. <laughs> like, right. And then exactly. I have a podcast. And podcasts so aren't for everybody. But I, I, I feel, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Um, I, I feel like, and that's, you know, exactly sort of what I was getting at. Podcasts aren't, re- they really aren't for everyone. Um, but I think it's, you know, uh, I hope that it's accessible enough where you can pop it on in your car or while you're going for a walk or whatever it is you're doing to at least begin your journey of, of education in that topic. And even that might, I'm, I'm hoping will be not necessarily a game changer, but will grease the wheels a little bit, um, for people to access new information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I love it. All right. Last question. And we got to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> What kind of feedback have you gotten about people, about how people are using the things that they're learning on your podcast? Like, has someone reached out to you and been like, oh, I really liked learning about XYZ. I've started using it and I'm seeing great results. I love this question. This is such a great question. So yes, we have had a lot of really great listener feedback. Um, there's two two in particular that come to mind. One who um, listened to one of our episodes, and in the episode, we encouraged people to go advocate with their administration to get blah, 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 worked into their schedules, and they did, and it worked. And I was like, oh, I was just so happy. I was just, I was so thrilled for that whole group of clinicians that, you know, our our opinion had this positive impact on their on their on their working conditions related to, yes. you know, it was a clinical thing that, that we had recommended that they do, that it's not a billable service. Um, so, so that was great. And then we get a lot of, we get a lot of information about, thank you, this article was really helpful or this guest was really great. Um, we get a lot of positive, positive interactions with our audience. And if anybody is listening who is part of our audience, you guys are awesome. Thanks for being <laughs> you our, are audience. our listeners. Are the best. We love you so much. <laughs> Hundred. Sometimes my enthusiasm comes across as sarcasm, so I just want to state for the record: zero sarcasm, a hundred percent enthusiasm. Like I really do love you guys. You literally are the best. You like hang the moon in my starry night. Seriously, sky. they're the best. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, those are all of our questions. Um, Kate Grenbois, do I did I do it right? You did, and it's okay. I'd respond anyway. That's fine. Oh, no, names are important and I want to get them that's right. That's true. That's true. But I don't really care that much. It's not my name. It's my husband's. Grand Bois. <laughs> yes, you did it great. You did a great job. I mean, it's been my name for like 15 years, 12 years. I don't know how long we've been married. Long time. I should be more used to it by now. Um, well, thank you for having me. And I look forward to having you as a guest on, on the Nerdcast. I'm really excited about bringing some like aphasia information up into the peds world. That it's going to be great. Autism Peds world. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. It's been so, so wonderful having you. I mean, being a guest. So thank you so much for having me. 
I love how you slipped into your host role. I did. Did you hear that? That's fine. Oh yeah, I got it. I love it. No, it's beautiful. (laughs) My favorite thing is like podcasting with other podcast hosts because we're like, wait, who's who's in charge here? (laughs) I forget. (laughs) I know this. No, it's great, and it's going to be the same when you come when you come back. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Speech Uncensored podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes on speechuncensored.com and throw up a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts so other SLPs can find the podcast and join us. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Development Council for Speech Uncensored. The Development Council is made up of dedicated SLPs who want to contribute to the field in the delivery of podcast episodes, resources on the website, and community building. Stay tuned for new and awesome projects from the SUP Development Council. I'm so glad that you've decided to spend some of your time with us today, and I hope the material that we've covered has nourished your mind so that your practice can flourish. Now go out there and be awesome.